You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, um, had a little bit of a time away thing. It was our, we got a pile of birthdays around this time. It's kind of like one a month, but we double up in November, I guess. But anyways, my son's was obviously this past week, and then our youngest's birthday is coming up in a couple days. So kind of as a joint birthday gift thing, we went to a hotel for a couple days. Bottom line is I was pretty disconnected from everything that was going on. I've spent the last several hours trying to speed get caught up, and um, I'm sure in the process I missed a couple things. I'm sure of it. So if there was some kind of a big story that you're wondering why I'm not commenting on, that would be why. I went through like 48 hours of Twitter news, and 98% of it is kind of useless. So I'm trying to stay focused and scan and notice things that are going on. But after a while, you kind of start to filter out probably a little too much. But I think I'm kind of caught up. There's also a ton of narrative type stuff that seems to be cropping up. And I want today to, depending on time, kind of focus on the the what is, you know, summarizing and whatnot. But uh, with that said, why don't we get started with what it is I do know. First of all, some around the NFL news. Uh, Harold Landry of the Tennessee Titans suffered a torn ACL. He's out for the season. That is a pretty big blow for that team. Uh, Kenny Galladay has apparently completely fallen off a cliff since going to the Giants. I swear, there's something weird about teams like the Giants and the Jets. I don't care how good you are. You go to New York, you suck. Kenny Galladay played for the Detroit Lions and was a star in Detroit. There's a report about Kenny Galladay. ESPN's Jordan Ron Renan reports that wide receiver Kenny Galladay, quote, has been running routes this summer with the stiffness of a mannequin. Galladay played with the backups during the Giants' final preseason game, uh, which Renan calls strange and eye-opening. The Giants head into week one with almost no choice but to play Kenny Galladay. Kadarius Toney missed most of the offseason. Sterling Shepard is working back from an Achilles injury. Darius Slayton has fallen out of favor, and Wondell Robinson is a pure slot guy. He's also a rookie. Galladay's $17.5 million in guarantees this season should keep him on the field to start the season, but he could lose snaps rapidly if Tony and Shepard are able to find their way back, etc., etc. By the way, Kadarius Tony seems like he's a little out there, and I don't know how that's going to pay out, play out. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. There is just a curse out there. I don't know what it. I can't help but wonder if Eli Manning had played for another team if he'd be uh, one of the all-time greats. <laughs> the fact that he was competent and the offenses out there around his era were decent at times seems impossible to me. The Jets will never be anything ever. I'm just I'm just flat out convinced of it. It's unbelievable. Um, 
Josh Gordon is on a practice squad right now with the Tennessee Titans, so he's still hanging around out there. Russell Wilson got big time paid for the Broncos. Um, I guess we'll find out in time if that's a good thing or not. There's a pretty strong narrative that he seems to be falling off. I don't know if that's the case. We'll see. Maybe change of scenery, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're the Denver Broncos, who cares? You know how bad that team has been and for how long? And the last time they were even slightly relevant is when they went out and got like a 52-year-old quarterback that could barely move, and then they won a Super Bowl. Yes, it was because of the defense, but whatever. Russell Wilson at 70% of his peak gives them a more than adequate quarterback to be able to say, okay, that's settled. Let's just continue on. So from that standpoint, I get it. Because I think when you've been fighting to try to find a quarterback, that doesn't suck for... I mean, when was the last time they had a really good quarterback that was just a good... Since since Elway, has there been one? I understand Manning. I get that. I don't know why I'm talking about the Mannings so much, but coincidence. Who's been the best quarterback that that team has had since 2000? I don't know when Elway stopped playing, but whatever. Is it Manning? Guy couldn't throw a ball 22 yards. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. So... With that said, 100% support this decision by the Denver Broncos. Even if you told me 100% that Russell's like, he just doesn't really have it anymore. He's kind of, okay, yeah, it's that or Drew Locke. Give the man $50 million. I don't care. I don't care. What is he, like a less injured version of Matt Stafford? Good enough. Is he Kirk Cousins now? I don't care. We will never be anything ever without a quarterback. We got one moving on. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers officially did put their center Ryan Jensen on IR. Their offensive line continues to get decimated. I'm not even entirely sure where they're at. I'm going to start working on finding out where teams are at um, in the next coming weeks or so. Obviously, we'll start with the NFC North. Got to start with the Packers first, but that's we're going to kind of work on that today a little bit. Still don't know if we've 100% nailed it down. Last I saw, there's still one spot floating out there. In most of the articles you read, there's two spots, three spots, and some of them don't even have the new additions, so it's just... It's a very fluid um, situation, and I don't really trust any one source because I don't know how far behind they are. So I, we're just, we, we, we got to nail down the Packers first, do the NFC North, and then we'll work our way out to teams like the Bucks. But hopefully, it's all bad news for them. Uh, a couple guys on IR, including left tackle Tyron Smith, as well as wide receiver James Washington, um, means they're going to be out for several weeks. Uh, It says here that Tyron Smith is eligible after four weeks, but he is absolutely not expected back because he reportedly tore his hamstring off the bone, requiring immediate surgery. Wow. By the way, Tyron Smith, still one of the top offensive linemen in football. I mean, he's one of those guys where it's like he used to be dominant, but he's kind of in his third. I mean, his heyday was 2013 to 2016, but, you know, he's getting a little bit up in age. This dude had a 90.2 overall grade, 90 run blocking grade, and an 87 pass blocking grade. And although his run blocking grades have been drifting a little bit, pass blocking has stayed pretty much on point. I mean, he is a fantastic offensive lineman, and Dallas just lost him. And Dallas has been in a bit of a, again, I have to kind of verify all this. For all I know, they went out in free agency and drafted a bunch of guys. I don't know, but this is a team that had a really dominant offensive line, has allowed it to slowly dissipate. And the only reason it hasn't completely fallen off is because they're hanging on to guys like Tyron Smith uh, at the ripe old age of nearly 32 years old, and he's continuing to perform at that age. So it's the same guys that were dominant back in the day that are making them good today, and, and losing Tyron Smith is massive. Dallas, no question, is a threat. They were a massively underrated team last year based on what they were able to do offensively and defensively. Again, I do expect regression from them in a lot of areas, but it's still a big question mark. It's still a massive uh, 
powerhouse, I think, in the NFC of the few that exist. Um, they certainly have potential, um, but losing Tyron Smith is massive. It really is. And James Washington, they, they've had to purge a couple wide receivers, and uh, losing James Washington, uh, it says here, six to ten week timetable for him to return. So it's going to be, for the first half of the year, they will not have James Washington or Tyron Smith. I'm sorry, this, this little nugget here is kind of hilarious too. I'm sorry, I hate to keep picking on the guy, but again, the positive spin on all the negatives crack me up. Here's what it says about Malik Willis. Malik Willis uh, is the number two quarterback on the Titans depth chart. I'm not sure if they're saying that's a good thing or a, a bad thing. Just the title, I mean. Are you saying, oh, shucks, I thought he'd win the job? Or are you saying, hey, he's not third string, that's great. I don't know. But <laughs> here's what it says. The rookie will start the season, start the season, as Ryan Tannehill's backup following a solid preseason in which Willis completed 55% of his passes at 6.2 yards per attempt. <laughs> what? How is that a solid preseason? 6.2 yards per attempt? That's, that's 48th, he ranks. 48th for the preseason. His solid completion percentage of 50, well, technically 54.9, but I suppose if you want to round up, that's fine. 54.9 puts him 68th out of 78. What are you talking about? <laughs> and if you want to say he did a great job, why would you lead with some a couple of terrible stats? Leave that out, right? Jordan Love had a, a solid preseason. He had 55.4% of his passes completed. Again, kind of you got to look at the adjusted completion percentage stats and realize that it wasn't all his fault. But I'm not going to say he had a great preseason. He completed 55% of his passes. <laughs> It's like saying, uh, hotel stay was great. Bed was real hard. My back hurts. Those are two completely separate things. I, I just said them really close together with no periods or commas. In no way reflects the greatness of the hotel stay. I, it's just random information that I decided to throw in there immediately after I said it was great for some reason. And again, it's the, the way they phrased that kind of answered the first part. What did they mean? That he should be number one or it's great that he's not number three? The rookie will start the season as Ryan Tannehill's backup. Dude, he is not taking that job from Tannehill. He's not. And then they go on to argue with Mike Vrabel about Mike, what Mike Vrabel has to say. Titans, uh, Though Titans head coach Mike Vrabel has been critical of Wilson's decision-making, the team had enough confidence in the raw rookie to release Logan Woodside. Bro. <laughs> they just drafted Malik Willis. And now you're like, oh yeah? Well, if you think he's so bad at decision-making, why did you cut Logan Woodside instead of Malik Willis? Seems to me you're a big fat liar that doesn't really know what he's talking about. Honestly, I think when it comes to guys like Malik Willis, the reason that some people are so crazy about it is because he was seen as a consensus first round pick. The fact that he fell to the third round makes people furious and they will not admit they were wrong. All they said through this whole process is the NFL got it wrong on Malik Willis. They were 100% wrong. They were wrong. They were wrong. They're stupid. They're wrong. He starts off on the third string. They end up keeping him, you know, because they invested a pick in him, and obviously they're going to hang on to him because, I mean, there is higher upside with him. If you can get him to kind of be a better passer, make better decisions. But now you got the head coach who's like, yeah, you know, his decision-making kind of sucks, but we're working on it. Oh, oh, excuse me, what about 55%? Interesting how you cut Logan Woodside instead. Hmm. He should certainly be rostered in super flex leagues and would instantly be a QB1 candidate in a one in. One quarterback leagues if Tannehill struggles with injuries or gets benched. He's not getting benched. Good Lord. You guys are ridiculous. Let it go. All right, he fell to the third round. He did not have a good preseason. 
He's not ready to be an NFL quarterback, and they really like Ryan Tannehill. I'm sorry. He does a good job. He does a good job. And, and by the way, if Tannehill gets hurt, no, sorry. He's not a top-tier QB1. Malik Willis is coming in, and that sucks for the Titans. I just, I just, it just drives me nuts with this stuff. They're flat out telling, the, the Titans are telling you he's struggling. He's not having a good time. They're like, no, no, he's great. And in fact, if Tannehill gets hurt, he's going to be a great quarterback. It's going to be wonderful. Get you all the points. Just, just, I'm going to draft him in the first round this year. Eventually, when he takes over the job, he's going to be great. He's not taking over the job. God, psychopaths. Anyways, uh, Tredavious White was apparently uh, put on the reserve pup list. This is from a torn ACL last year, so it's very similar to the whole Elton Jenkins situation. Um, By the way, with all these injuries coming up, this is one of the things, I don't know if I actually said it on the podcast or not, but probably the biggest news that was going to happen was going to be after um, all the cuts happened, after the final deadline, that's when guys got put on IR. So my biggest fear was, oh man, I hope you know, we don't find out that some of our guys got put on a, to my knowledge, nobody did. So everybody, at least according to the Packers, are going to be ready within those first, you know, three-ish or so weeks. I'm guessing if you don't expect them back by week four, you, you would put them on IR. So not saying guaranteed week one, but I would assume by week two, probably week three. There's always setbacks and things, but um, between David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins and Mason Crosby and Whoever else is dealing with injuries, Dallin Levitt and Darnell Savage, pretty much all of our safeties, nobody was on IR, again, to my knowledge. So that's pretty incredible. Anyways, Tredavious, uh, another pretty big powerhouse team. He's going to be out for a while. As far as NFC North-specific news, the Minnesota Vikings have uh, made a trade with the Philadelphia Eagles getting Jalen Rager. Makes me a little bit sad. I know Jalen hasn't really panned out, but he was one of the guys. I swear, between the Bears and the Vikings, they get all the guys that I like. The Bears draft all the guys that I like, which, again, just proves that I would suck as a GM because the Bears team sucks. But still, Eddie Goldman and Montgomery, James Daniels, even Justin Jefferson. I wasn't a massive Justin Jefferson fan, but certainly intrigued by him, and they got him, and now they get Jalen Rager. So yeah, I'm a little bit concerned, especially with their air-it-out offense. They've got a bunch of different pieces. They've got their sort of Devontae Adams type and Justin Jefferson. Jalen's going to be sort of their MVS, I would assume. Hopefully he disappoints as much as he disappointed the Eagles. In addition to that, the Chicago Bears uh, locked up Alex Leatherwood, the offensive lineman. It's funny, again, one of the interactions I had on Twitter was a guy trying to talk about how great the Bears' offensive line is. I don't remember the exact interaction, but it was something to the effect of Nobody agrees that the Bears have a bad offensive line. I'm like, well, I think your front office does because they keep going out trying to buy guys to make them not suck so much. And here's another example of them going out constantly just trying to pick up pieces to to put this thing all together. Um, I, I feel like just the vibe I'm getting, especially from Bears fans, is they view Leatherwood similar to the way that they view Tevin Jenkins, which is weird because they already have Tevin Jenkins, but he's a tackle that's really not good as a tackle and would be much better inside. In other words, he's, he's big and he's strong. He's not athletic enough to be a tackle, which is somewhat problematic because if you look at the Bears trying to run the same offense that the Packers are running, why would the Packers have any interest in a guard that can't play tackle? I know that sounds like a, a silly comment, but there's a reason why most of our guards are converted tackles. It's because we want that athleticism because our guards need to have that level of athleticism. Saying that these guards are big, brutish maulers that don't really have the athleticism, so we're going to keep them inside where they can just push guys around. 
How does that work in a Matt LaFleur, Shanahan, McVay offense? To my knowledge, it doesn't. Are we talking power? I'm just asking. I, I don't know. I, I, I just, that's, that's, seems to be an issue here. And interestingly enough, just kind of looking it up because why not? Um, looking at Tevin Jenkins and his abilities run blocking, he does grade out pretty significantly better as a gap blocker than a zone blocker. As much as the Bears fans love his run blocking prowess, and granted, some of these grades have to do with his play at tackle, but still, he ranks 92nd out of 104 with zone blocking, run blocking. He ranks 53rd with a average PFF grade zone blocking. Not great, but significantly better. So if they're actually going to be trying to play zone, he's literally one of the worst zone blocking offensive linemen in football. Again, maybe a lot of that has to do with when he was playing tackle. I don't know. Maybe he's just massively better now that he's... um, playing guard. Actually, I can probably get the answer to that question too. Week three, so he played tackle week one, guards week two and three. Week three, he had a 59 uh, gap blocking grade and a uh, 46 zone blocking grade. Again, as a guard, significantly worse. Ranks 61st with gap, 88th zone. Week two was a little bit closer, but still slightly better 59 compared to 57. So, again, that 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 would be my concern for the Chicago Bears in trying to put this all together. I'm sure it looks great, and I'm sure you got all kinds of highlight reels of him, quote-unquote, pancaking guys, and similar to what we saw against the Packers and, and Enigbare and a few other guys he, he, with Trevor Penning. He threw Enigbare to the ground. Uh, he hit Quay Walker significantly after the play was over and knocked him down. Oh, he's a big man great. You're strong. We, we understand that. I mean, he's, he's physically stronger than an inside linebacker. We know. We got it. The Bears' ability to actually put together this system depends on a lot more than one guy individually getting into a fist fight with a defensive tackle. And as the Packers are looking to get more athletic, guys like Quay Walker, Tevin Jenkins isn't just going to stand there and, and try to play, you know, rock'em, sock'em robots with Jaron Reed. He's going to have to get past Reed and try to wall off Quay Walker in time. You think he's going to be able to get up to that next level and pull that off? He's they're going to pull him and try to get him out in front of the guys that you know how you know what the Packers are doing. They're getting quicker, faster, more athletic. Devontae Wyatt has the speed essentially of a linebacker. So yeah, you you can play you know who can bench press more if you want. If you want to play that game, that's fine. I don't like your odds playing four quarters against the Green Bay Packers and their athletic defensive tackles, edge rushers, and linebackers. So by all means, put Alex Leatherwood in the mix. I would love that. Speaking of the Bears, I saw somebody else posted this as I was perusing. And th- this is, this is I've, I've alluded to this in the past. The idea that, man, we were so close in 2018, we just got to tweak a couple things and get it right. That's not a thing anymore because the entire team is brand new. Kevin Fishbane tweeted out, with Tonga, Johnson, and Shelley waived, the Bears are now down to 19 players remaining from last year's... This is from last year's roster. 19 left from the 2021 roster. How many guys remain from the 2018 roster? By the way, again, for all the people complaining about the Packers drafting ability, Kevin Fishbane adds this. Shelley's cut means that David Montgomery is the only one on the roster from the Bears 2019 draft class. The only one left. The point is, though, this isn't 
and I'm not saying the, the majority of Bears fans are saying this. I'm sure, I'm sure they, many of them understand this. This is a complete teardown and rebuild. Anything that you had that was positive in the past means nothing. Zero. Not a single thing. You're building a brand new team with brand new coaches, brand new GM, heading in a brand new direction. Which means we have no information, which cracks me up about all the talk about, oh, just wait, we're coming. Da, da, da. Who, what are you talking about? Well, when Rodgers leaves, we're going to win the... When Rodgers leaves, what? What's going to happen when Rodgers leaves? The Packers fall off. First of all, how do you know that? Well, because of love. Da, 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 da. Okay, we don't know what love is, but let's just say he's complete trash and the Packers recognize that now. How many years do we have to find a quarterback? Beyond all that, what are you when the Packers fall off? What, not garbage? We're just going to pretend to know that you're suddenly going to be not garbage for the first time in a, a decade? Or second time in a decade, I guess. I guess if you make it, if you sniff the playoffs once, you can kind of get a little bit of little bit of credit. 19 remain from last year. Wow. And again, there was all this hype about how the Bears are, they're actually really good and they're all these things. Why did they all get cut? Why? That's the, that's the funniest thing about this whole situation is they'll fight to the death to prove that Packer fans are wrong about the Bears' rod. You guys don't know what you're talking about. We're, we're, we're not that bad. This guy's, this guy's better than that guy, and our guy over here, our defensive tackles are better than your defensive And then the second they get cut, suddenly they're garbage. Khalil Mack is a god, and it was the greatest signing in the history of the world until he got cut, and then it was, he's injured, and he was overrated, and he's not good at anything anymore. We cut him just in time. Akeem Hicks, same thing. Akeem Hicks got signed or re-signed or whatever for another year. Boy, oh boy, is that guy a stud. As soon as he left, pff, he was washed. He's trash. <laughs> it's a giant joke. If you ever want to win an argument about, you know, David Montgomery, right now they're, they're fighting to the death for the last remaining couple Chicago Bears. If you want to win that argument, convince the Chicago Bears to trade him. The second they do that, you are right all along. He's trash. He's, he's overrated. He wasn't actually that good. We can do better. Actually, Khalil Herbert, low-key better than David Montgomery was. <laughs> Anyways, the final bit of news since we've been talking about the Bears and the Vikings. The Bears claimed wide receiver Emir Smith-Marset off waivers from the Vikings per sources. You know, it's funny, and I'll, I'll, I'll grant you guys this because you've been talking about how Samori Ture maybe wouldn't have cleared waivers and everything. And I was looking at it, and I'm like, he's going to clear. It's not a big deal. And then you look over at the Chicago Bears roster, and it's like, man... Not only would it suck to lose him, and it would suck to be wrong about that issue, but if the Bears signed him, oh! And the thing is, he would have a prominent role on that roster. So there would be highlight reels of Chicago Bears fans and everything else throwing that in our face over and over and over. He'd be catching passes against us in games, because again, he'd be a prominent starter, probably better than Equinemius right now. And when you look at Amir smith Marse, I mean, the fact that they snagged... so. <laughs> So the Vikings cut a guy. I don't know if they were going to try to bring him back on the practice squad or not, but let's just say they are. They release a guy. They're hoping to bring him back, and the Bears claim him. And I'm just looking at that like, dude, I got a hunch <laughs> that would have been us. Granted, he's you know got a little bit more experience. It's year two for him, but um, 11 targets, 10 receptions, 121 yards. He's 23 years old, you know. Those things sound familiar. 13 targets, 9 receptions, 125 yards. Both of them had big week three, you know, preseasons. I'm content with the situation we're in. Let's just say that. I, 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 it's more than worth being wrong just to not have to find out. Anyways, uh, why don't we go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we'll kind of 
hopefully we've allowed this to marinate long enough and we've somebody has figured out exactly what the practice squad is. Nope, we still got one spot open. That's all right. We'll we'll get to where we're at so far on the other side of the break. By the way, thank you very, very much to Kevin Williams for jumping in on Patreon. That is very greatly appreciated. I really appreciate that. That's why I said it twice. If you'd like to get in on it and support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. And again, if you'd like to give to uh, my dad's ministry, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. Again, right now it's it's sort of a uh, pipeline for people in the prison system, but it's not exclusively meant for that. But you can find more information about it uh, pinned to the top of my Twitter as well as to the top of my Facebook uh, group there. There'll be links to donate, but you can also, that just goes to their website so you can look around the About Me and all that stuff. Would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I want to start off with Aaron Rodgers' locker room uh media availability thing, whatever you call it. Um, I love the candid nature of, of when Rogers speaks now. It's, it's almost to the point where, I mean, he's, he's maybe somewhat guarded. He doesn't try to say, you know, way too positive or way too negative or anything like that, but he's going to say what he thinks. A um, couple nuggets that I really enjoyed. Maybe I'll cue up a sound clip if I can feel like it, whatever. But um, number one, they, they did a practice that is unusual, but also I'm sitting here wondering why it's unusual. It seems like it would be pretty intuitive, I guess, but um, it was basically like a game practice. It's just a game. We're going to play a game. I don't know the exact details of that, but it was something to the effect of we put 40 minutes on the clock, offense, defense, get out there and go play. Rogers was asked about it. He said it was the best camp. It was the best practice of all of, all of camp. He really, really appreciated it. Now, I think 
it probably, and, and Rogers alluded to this, I think it skews toward the veterans. The veterans don't need to go over everything with a fine-tooth comb, how to run routes, how to, you know, footwork and all that stuff that they work on with all these other camps. But now, especially that we've transitioned to, now we're ready for the regular season, these are probably much more valuable training camp days or practices. And I, I, I personally, I love that. Again, the younger guys probably need a little bit more work and wouldn't hurt to kind of take them to the side and say, okay, we need to kind of fine-tune these things or those things. But, um, you know, the regular season is big boy football now. So this is what we need to be doing. This is what we need to know how to do. And we can still kind of correct as we go along. But I, I'm somewhat surprised that this isn't more of a prominent thing. And I'm, I'm guessing it will be, especially with Aaron Rodgers loving it as much as he does. Um, talking about the wide receiver room. Did not seem super excited about him, <laughs> to be honest. He, you know, he was asked, what do you think about the, the wide receiver group? And he kind of just hemmed and hawed and was like, eh, I guess I feel the same way I did a couple weeks ago. It's, um, he said, you know, there's signs of immaturity at time and lack of experience and all that. And didn't inspire a ton of confidence, I guess, at least initially in his response. And he, he especially talked about this particular practice because we're not going in slow motion, Right. Slow motion is great when you're trying to get the young guys up to speed, but that's not what we're doing. You know, this is, this is by the way, it's not just what Aaron Rodgers needs. This is what Romeo Dobbs needs. It's great to be able to take your time. Here's the play. Here's how, you know, talk to Rodgers beforehand. Rodgers can be like, here's what I want you to blah, 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 blah. But game time, like rapid fire, as Rodgers said, we're, we're trying to rip through these things and we got to get to the line. You got to get set. You got to know what you're doing. And as I make checks, you got to live action and, and good that he's failing. I'm not, I, maybe he's not, maybe he's great. I, I don't mean to pick on Romeo Dobbs. Maybe it's Ture or Amari or whoever, but good because it does no good to do the slow motion stuff and just assume these guys are doing great. They kind of figured everything out. Then you get them out there in a game and they're falling apart. Do it now. Find out the issues. Let them realize how serious this is and how fast it is and how crazy it is. And then, you know, go back, review it, find out what they're doing right, doing wrong, and get them up to speed. But, you know, he did actually single out Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson in terms of them being kind of slow in their development, but also positive because it means that, you know, these are the guys, they, they were with the ones, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers that's trying to get them up to speed. He didn't mention Ture, probably because Ture is running with the twos and he's not as worried about getting him up to speed. But yeah, he, he said, you know, we, we're, we're going to have to be patient with these guys. But again, I, I really appreciate it. I, I think you need to just make it as difficult as is humanly possible. It's, it's no different than what we say about, you know, when Jair came into the league and they put Devontae on him or Stokes and we put Devontae on him because I want you to, to make this as hard as is humanly possible so that when you go up against the other guys, it's not that bad, right? These rookies came in, they had to face Jair and Stokes, right? The guys who were also went through a similar situation came out, graduated on the other side of it. Now they're putting these guys through the ringer because when... Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson have to go up against the Vikings DBs. I promise you, it's not Jair and Stokes and Razul. It's a different environment. And then Chicago, give me a freaking break. I'm not saying there aren't good corners in the leagues, uh, around the league, but it should, be, it should be less intense. Same thing here. Rodgers should be, if anything, ramping it up. They should be putting him in horrible situations. Rodgers should be checking just for the sake of checking. Like, it's a good play, don't care, here's what I want to do. I'm I'm looking right at your eyeballs, Christian Watson, and I'm I'm giving you a signal, and you better freaking run the right route because if the game is less stressful than practice, that's great. If it's slower than practice, that's wonderful. 
But anyways, after he kind of talks about needing to be patient with, he says, 87 and 9, which is Dobbs and Watson, um, he has some really solid comments about Sammy Watkins. And again, I I don't know. I mean, we've heard some things from Aaron Rodgers. You know, he was heaping praise on every tight end that's ever come in here, and they're all pretty bad. Not not Mercedes, but he also didn't really praise Mercedes as a... He loves him as a person, but not as a, this great receiver, right? We had uh, Jimmy Graham. Oh, man, was it just all about the 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 mind meld between the two guys and how great everything was. And Martellus Bennett, oh, it was just since day one, Martellus and Rod. So, you know, again, we, we've heard these things before. I don't want to overhype it. But I also think that we might be sleeping a little bit on Sammy. Here's what he had to say about Sammy Watkins. Um, but I tell you what, ever since the Saints practice, the first one, Sammy has been a different player. And he's been super reliable. And every practice made a bunch of plays. Today he had a bunch of plays again. He did go on to praise Randall Cobb and say that uh, he was also kind of showing up in a big way. But, you know, the the reason I want to highlight that is he's he's the complete forgotten man on this offense. Um, you could say, I guess, the same thing about Randall a little bit, but I think there's just such low expectations for Sammy Watkins. Packer fans, I've never seen a Packer fan or Packer fans hate a free agent <laughs> as much as Sammy Watkins. It doesn't matter who comes in here. There's always somebody. Man, Christian Kirksey came in here, and oh my goodness, you would have thought it was Brian, peak Brian Erlacher came in here. Same with Jaron Reed, and I, you know, maybe Jaron Reed will be great. I, again, I don't know. But the guy hasn't really done anything. But man, oh man, you did. this is the best defensive line we've had since whatever. But Sammy Watkins, who is like a number six overall draft pick, there, there are very few human beings who have come into the league with you know, the, the talent that Sammy Watkins has had. And I know it hasn't been great, but again, hasn't been great for a lot of guys that come in here and get heaps of praise. But there is not a one person who's looking at Sammy and thinking that this guy's going to be a producer for us. Lazard, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, even Amari Rogers is getting a, a ton of hype these days, which is great because I thought I was the only one defending Amari Rogers through this. Now suddenly Amari is this great breakout player. And now I'm like on the opposite side of it going like, okay, I'm glad you guys don't hate him anymore, but maybe let's slow down a little bit. Samore Ture, heaps of praise all over him. Sammy Watkins, nothing. The expectation is for him to suck for two weeks and then be out for the rest of the year with an injury. But since I've been kind of saying since day one, and you know my least favorite saying ever is when healthy, but the point is when he plays, he's not that bad. Like I said, he was a better number two for Baltimore than Lazard was for us. So imagine if. You know, we had picked up a guy like Alan Lazard and brought him over. It's not a terrible thing. But then even beyond that, I, I kept saying in training camp, you kept seeing the notes about two-minute drill. All of a sudden, here comes Sammy Watkins with a bunch of catches. You saw on Packers Family Night, same thing. When it got down to crunch time, Sammy with back-to-back catches to kind of move the chains. There just seems to be this, I mean, obviously he didn't play in the preseason like anybody else, which should tell us something again, right? Sammy Watkins doesn't have experience with this system like Randall and Lazard do. Why wouldn't he get any opportunities? I mean, Amari Rodgers was out there. Why isn't Sammy? I think it's because the Packers have a much higher outlook on Sammy Watkins than the fan base does at large. And Rodgers right now is what he's explaining. He's not criticizing Sammy Watkins for not understanding anything. He does. He's up to speed. He's ready to go. He's a reliable target. And again, you know he's reliable because on, 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 a, on a critical third down, more than anybody else through this whole offseason that I've seen, Sammy Watkins has been the guy. Not Alan Lazard. Not even Randall Cobb not the rookies, it's Sammy. That says something when Rodgers is looking at, you know, crunch time 
and he turns to you. That's a big deal. So I, I, I just feel like this is Aaron Rodgers kind of hinting at what nobody else... I mean, he doesn't get any questions about Sammy for a reason. And the reason is we don't want to know because we don't care. And he notices that when he gets asked questions. It's about Romeo. It's about And granted, the rookies, it makes sense, but you're going to get questions about Amari. He's, I'm sure, getting questions about Lazard as the new number one. But he gets no questions about Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. And who are the two people he highlighted? Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just a matter of, you know, you guys don't want to pay attention, but I'm going to highlight these guys because they deserve it. But, I mean, if Sammy Watkins in week one gets 50 yards on four receptions, he has probably exceeded what some Packer fans think he'll do for the whole year. So it's a little it's a little wild with that, but we'll see. Obviously, again, injuries are a big thing, and none of this means anything if he can't stay healthy, but um, we'll just we'll just have to see. But kind of summarizing that, he went through and talked about um, Tunyon a ton. Said he loved what he saw from Tunyon, loved what he saw from uh, Aaron Jones, 33. He goes by the numbers, which I always have to sit there and go, I'm pretty sure 33, that's Aaron Jones, right? I always second guess myself. <laughs> I know I need to know this, and I'm glad nobody's sitting next to me looking at me, looking at our lads just to double check and make sure. Um, but yeah, and then, and then the veterans. So, I mean, again, he's, he's honest about stuff. He's not just coming out going, oh, I, th- I, th- I think it's great. We got a little bit to work on here. He's calling people out by name, right? Um, the veteran wide receivers look great. Lazard, Cobb, uh, Sammy. Aaron Jones looked great. Didn't say Dylan. Didn't say the running back. Said Aaron Jones. Again, he's not complaining about Dylan, but just how specific he's being. Robert Tunyon. Didn't say DeGuara. Didn't even say Mercedes, who he loves passionately, as weird as that sounds. You know what I mean. Don't make it weird. You freak. And then, again, singling out Dobbs and Watson, saying we got to be patient with these guys because they kind of don't know what they're doing. Didn't say Amari. Didn't say Ture. Maybe it's because they're running number two. I'm just saying, again, the honesty. I appreciate that. We're four and a half minutes into an interview, and he just laid it out, like just singled out everybody on, on the offense. And is like, yeah, the, these guys are great. These guys are a little bit behind. This guy in particular is amazing. This guy's awesome. This guy, eh, you know, he kind of sucks, but that's right. We love him anyways. I made up most of that, but you get the point. He was asked about the Juwan thing, which I'm, I'm actually really glad, especially with his answer. Um, th- there's been a lot of talk about Rodgers is going to rebel because, you know, last time he said he liked a receiver and he got cut, he freaked out and he went public and everything else. And so now he says he really likes Juwan and he gets cut. So he's going to freak out again. Um, He started off by saying he appreciates the conversation. There's been a lot of conversation between the two of them. And he said, and by the way, this is a very different situation. Um, We treat that situation as, you know, their number seven got cut and Rodgers freaked out. Rodgers specified in this interview, he said he was the third best receiver on the team based on his performance. So it's kind of hard to compare that to anything right now. You could almost say it's like Romeo Dobbs, right? I mean, it, it probably isn't, but let's just say. Let's just say you got Lazard and Watkins, who are your one and two, and then you got this guy who's a little younger, a little bit more raw, but he is just crushing it right now. Rodgers loves it. He's excited about it. He says, we got to keep this guy. You don't understand. He's really good. He's really reliable, and the team kicks him out. Again, very different situation. Any other name I pick is not going to have this, you know. I guess you could say Randall Cobb, but we'd all kind of roll our eyes at that anyway, so I don't know. Although we rolled our eyes about Kumaro too, so maybe that is a good example. But it, it is a good clarifying point. It's not just any player on the team that Rodgers happens to say, I like this guy. Um, that situation was specifically him saying, this guy is one of the best players on our offense. And then like the next day, they're like, see ya. He also elaborated on the fact that 
preference is going to be given to the younger guys. And I think that's true, and that's especially true this year. And that that was, uh, again, an area that I missed. I thought that they were going to lean on experience because we got this sort of Super Bowl window, and it feels like that's kind of what they've been doing for a while is leaning on experience because we need to win now kind of thing. And um, that certainly wasn't the way they did it. That's why a lot of my 53 ended up being wrong is because I leaned too much on that experience factor. And they were going more high upside than than experience. And Rodgers even says that. And he, he went on to say that this is kind of how it's been in Green Bay for a long time, which which is true. You know, they, they've always been an in-house kind of team. Going back to Ted Thompson, that was a big thing is if, you know, they stick by their guys. You know, it doesn't matter if you're an undrafted free agent or whatever, if you come in and you've got talent or whatever. And, um, you know, the Packers also on the opposite side of that have been very quick to get rid of older guys, <laughs> you know. Whereas other teams will hang on to the guys that they like way past their prime. The Packers are kind of like, we want to get rid of you a year early. And so, um, you know, Rodgers went on to specify or elaborate that, you know, it's, he essentially said Winfrey's better than Toure. That's more or less what he was alluding to. But um, said that they're going to lean toward the high upside, the potential, the young guys. And um, with guys like Tur- uh, Winfrey, if you're going to win the job, you need to be significantly better than the young guy that's here if you're going to take that spot because they're always going to lean toward the younger um, type players. But anyways, that, that again, just I thought that was a really good insight from Rodgers. And it's funny because Rodgers even said essentially what I've been saying about um, Juwan is that he could play week one. And he even said even if he gets back on the practice squad, which he is now, I believe, he said there's, there's a very good chance that he gets activated and plays in week one. I don't know if I'd necessarily believe that, but that's that's just from his perspective. We could see Juwan Winfrey week one, depending on how things pan out. I mean, you've got injury concerns to figure out. And you've also got just, you know, who's ready, who's not. You know, there, there was the consideration of, you know, maybe Winfrey's more likely to make it. So that's why he gets stashed. But again, we're kind of looking at a 69-man roster more than anything. So who gets activated on game day? Now that you can bring guys up and down and up and down and up and down three different times in a season, it gives you a lot more flexibility to kind of stash him and bring him up and then hide him again and then bring him back up or whatever. Uh, Rodgers also singled out Caleb Jones, which is which is fantastic. Um, you know, he was asked about Samori Ture. Like, have you had a chance to speak to Ture since getting um, put on the regular, the, the 53? And he just said no. And that was it. Just flat out cold. Nope, haven't talked to him. But he said he reached out to Caleb and had a conversation with Caleb Jones. Like, we really appreciate what you did. You did a great job. And all this stuff, like just keeping praise on the guy. He really, really liked him. And maybe, <laughs> maybe the Ture thing is, little bit jaded about Winfrey should have been on here instead of him. I don't know. But again, it's just it's just kind of cool because it gives me confidence that he really did. And and listen, it, it's not like, you know, I hate to keep picking on the Bears, but let, just as an example, because it's the only thing I can think of in terms of an example. I guess Penning would be another one, but Penning actually graded out really well. Tevin Jenkins mostly is fans fanboying clips on Twitter. Caleb Jones is a little bit of that too. He's such a massive freak of a human being. There's a little bit of that. And, and to be honest, that's the reason I doubted him. To be completely honest with you, that was, that was the biggest reason. He's a circus freak and fans get excited about him because he's a circus freak. And I'm just sitting here rolling my eyes like, okay, I, I granted it's cool that he's so big, but there's, you know, that's probably going to end up working against him in terms of actually being a quality offensive lineman. And so I, I unfairly wrote the guy off. He absolutely crushed the preseason, according to what PFF had to see. And statistically, there's not a lot you can do with statistics, but pressures and whatnot, fantastic. 
And so to hear Aaron Rodgers say that he was kind of disappointed that he didn't make the 53 and that he deserved it and we're excited to have him on the practice squad and all that stuff, it's just further confirmation because, again, he's not going to say that if it's not true, especially an offensive lineman because he will lose his mind if an offensive lineman's playing like garbage. No chance in the world a young guy who's new to the league is going to get any praise from Aaron Rodgers if he doesn't earn it. And he volunteered this. You know, some of these are questions being asked. He wasn't asked about Caleb Jones. He volunteered that information. Um, Talked about Goodson, Tyler Goodson. Said he had a great camp. He just needs to get better on special teams. And by the way, the running back thing, and I'll I'll, kind of touch on the 53 as we go because this is going a lot longer than I expected. We haven't gotten to Gutekunst or LaFleur yet even. But, um, you know, the one thing that I got wrong when looking at the running backs was that number three spot is going to go to a special teamer. So my answer was find the best special teamer. That'll be the running back three. Some people didn't have a running back three, and I thought that that was weird because I never asked a simple question. What if what's best for special teams isn't a third running back? That is to say, in order to have a third running back, somebody else has to be off. And if that person that you're taking off is a better special teamer, that doesn't work. And so bottom line, they didn't like Goodson on special teams, and they didn't really care for Patrick Taylor on special teams either. They had better options elsewhere, and they went with those better options in other places. And again, they can easily put... Hill back there when he gets back, and they can activate Goodson or Patrick Taylor off of the practice squad whenever, if they need him on game day or whatever. But the point is, they didn't decide to keep an additional running back for the sake of special teams because it wasn't a net benefit to special teams to keep a third running back. They wanted them both on practice squad because activating them as running backs can be beneficial, but they don't actually necessarily need them on the 53 on game day to help on special teams. But again, he... he, that, that was his whole thing with Goodson. Had a great camp, needs to get better on special teams. That was the thing that kept him off. Um, as far as special teams, again, from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, which is great, especially on this issue, because what's Matt LaFleur going to say? Of course we're taking it very... I mean, it's, it's, he's the one responsible for it, but Rodgers from the outside kind of looking in, you could tell just as soon as they asked the question, what, what do you think about the difference in the emphasis on special teams? He just kind of, I don't want to say winced, but it's kind of a similar looking face. Like, I don't know. But went on to say, listen, we, we've always kind of emphasized special teams, or at least in the past we've done it before, maybe in terms of lip service. And, and Matt LaFleur honestly kind of said the same thing. We, we've talked about it before. We've mentioned that this needs to be more serious. And, and Mike McCarthy did the same thing. I think it was mostly lip service. Like, this time we mean it. We're really going to do it. You know, I'm going to sit in the meetings and all this stuff. But it's different when you actually start making serious changes. And again, that's more of a Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur thing. But from Aaron Rodgers' perspective is saying, you know, I don't know necessarily about the emphasis from a practice standpoint or anything, but we brought it, you know, we've relied on young guys in the past is what he said. In other words, I don't think we played a lot of veterans and we certainly didn't bring in guys that are just special teamers. This time he says, we we got guys that that's how they make their money. And I, I think I haven't really gotten to it yet, but Rudy Ford, who was brought in, that's what he is. He is a, a special teams mercenary, right? Nobody really expects him to be a, a defensive guy, and I think he knows that. He is a gunner. That's what he does. That's who he is. Now, I, I don't know necessarily how, how prominent of a role he's, or I shouldn't say that. He's going to have a prominent role. I don't know exactly how good he's going to be necessarily, but that's what we need, and we got one. The Packers have wanted that guy, and again, I've, I've constantly talked about guys like Jeff Janis. Never really a great wide receiver. But that guy would just smash people on special teams. He was an ace gunner, and I loved him for that. If it was up to me, he'd still be on the team as a gunner. And um, the Packers looked at what they have right now, and they don't really have that guy on the outside that's just going to fly down the field with intensity, with speed, and with violence, and just meet the ball on the other side. 
and run through anybody that dares to touch it. That's what they found in Rudy Ford. And I, I, I think it's, it's him and a few other, Dallin Levitt and a few other guys. This is what they are, purely. And, and I love how Rogers put that. That's how they make their money. And he said, we've got a few other guys that need to embrace that. In other words, they're special teamers that don't know it yet. They want to pretend that there's something more than that. Um, if I had to highlight somebody, I would maybe lean toward a guy like maybe McDuffie or Barnes. Barnes is a very good special teamer. I don't think he's ever really going to be a great um, linebacker in the NFL. I think Rico Gafford would be another one. Not that he's been necessarily great as a special teamer, but I think that's, you know, if you're going to make money in the NFL, that's how you need that. That's the craft you need to hone. So from Rogers perspective, that's the biggest thing. We've gone out and got a few special teams mercenaries and we're relying a little bit more on, on veteran guys as opposed to just let's get the bottom of the roster, whoever they are, to play special teams because I don't want to get the starters hurt and whatever. But I think the biggest thing, and we'll maybe just leave it at this because we got to move on here. The biggest thing from this presser that you've probably already seen was his comments about the defense, which, again, it, I'm maybe the only Packer fan left that's somewhat skeptical, I think. <laughs> Not that I, you know... I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sort of in wait-and-see mode. But I do love these comments, especially, again, coming from Aaron Rodgers, because it's very specific. It's not just coach speak. So, anyways, here is what Aaron Rodgers had to say about uh, the defense. Mm, I mean, pretty quick. Pretty quick, for sure. Like day two. We got after him day one. Day two, they got after us. Um, the beauty is the depth that we have at each level. You know, it's not like some great defenses have an incredible D-line kind of hold on to the back end or a great front seven and kind of make up for the back end or a great back end that's got to make up for a lack of a pass rush. But if you look at our interior D line, I mean, that's a really impressive group. You know, I think the way Dean has progressed as a big time player in this league, obviously Kenny is, you know, understated, but, you know, a top two or three guy at his position. And then the depth they have behind him with Big Slayton and, uh, you know, the rookie Wyatt, and then off the edge, you know, the consistency we get from Preston and then Rashawn, who's really made himself a, a game changer. You know, when the two minute, let me just say, in the two minute drive today, our protection was slide to his side. Just because he's such a great game record. And that's a, you know, Preston is a fantastic player on one side, but we got to slow down 52. And defense and offenses are going to have to have a plan for him. But the pocket push that we can get from those interior guys is really great. Then you got two. Six four plus linebackers inside who are both rangy and smart and intelligent, um, and 59 who's a hell of a player and trash talker. And the back end man has got a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence. It's you know, usually, in, in even if it's a great defense, you can always find a kind of find one guy to pick on, but I don't feel like we have that in this in this defense. You know, you got one of the top corners in the game in, in Rasul who's having a hard time getting minutes in base. That tells you that tells you how good they are on the back end. Obviously, Jai's been a lockdown guy all camp, and 21 keeps getting better. And if he learns how to catch the ball, you know, he's going to be a perennial Pro Bowl for us. But I love, I love the defense and the way they're playing, and we just got to be consistent on teams and break even. And offensively, I feel like we've shown a lot of growth throughout camp, and today was a really good day for the offense. At the beginning there, by the way, he said pretty quick that the question was more or less, how quickly did you realize that this was a legit defense? And he was saying really quick, by day two, they kind of came after us. But again, the, the, the good thing about it is 
you know, he didn't say anything that we don't know. He's been saying the same, he said the same thing we've all been saying this whole time, just kind of going through the whole on paper thing, right? You know, defensively on the interior, we got this, on the edge, we got this, at linebacker, we got two guys, on the co- at corner, we got these guys, you know, the swagger and this and that. He just regurgitated what we already know, but the point is, this is the guy on offense going up against him. If it's just on paper, he's not going to say it. And hearing what he had to say and how he had to say it, it's got to get you a little bit excited. I mean, he's the one trying to get this offense to work against this defense. He's the one having a hard time. He's the one, by the way, that spent over a decade going up against some really, really good defenses and knows what a good defense is. And, you know, again, several really good lines, but I think the best one is even really good defenses, you've got somebody you can pick on. There's nobody on this defense you can pick on. Now, the obvious issue here is it's it's thin. One injury can change that pretty quickly. The next guy coming up, that's the guy's getting picked on, 100%. And suddenly you've got a you've got a you got a leak in the boat. You know, um, the comments on Rashawn. You know, it's it's funny because sometimes he can be understated in his comments. He kind of talked about how good he is or whatever, but it didn't sound like you know the the way I talk about him, the way you probably talk about him, until he went went and got specific. You know, when he's saying, "Hey, Preston's real good," but we had to slide extra protection over to Rashawn. And then offenses, by the way, are going to have to figure out a way to slow him down because he is an absolute freak. When talking about Razul, I was kind of thrown off when he first said, you know, we got one of the best corners in the league. I thought he was talking about Jair. He says Razul, and I'm like, oh, come on. Don't try to tell me that you think Razul is is the best corner on our team. No, he was just stating that he's one of the best in football, and he's struggling to find opportunities with the other two guys that are there which is to say we have three premier corners, which, again, on paper, we know that. I have concerns about Razul. I have concerns about Stokes. I'm a little concerned about Jair, although his performance in camp has been incredible. So that one has been kind of assuaged a bit. I'm hoping there's a lot more of that. And really, and, and, and this is what we need to start pivoting back to. We spent so much time focusing on the Jack Heflins and the uh, Kabian Entos and the Sean McDuffie's and the Tyler Goodsons and the Samori Tures, and allowing ourselves to get into sucked in, get, getting sucked into arguments about, you know, Justin Fields or Jordan Love. How stupid. Worrying about Tyler Davis when we forgot about Robert Tunyon. Arguing about Jordan Love when Aaron Rodgers is our starting quarterback. Stressing over Samori Ture more so than we're wondering about the upside of a guy like Christian Watson. Or is Alan Lazard going to crack a thousand yards this year? Argue more about Patrick Taylor or Goodson when we have the best running back duo in all of football, not including either of them. Hamilton or Tipa. How about Rashawn Gary? <laughs> but anyways, we're, we're rapidly running out of time. We obviously didn't get to anything, so why don't we just cover the practice squad as I understand it to be at this moment. There are 15 guys, one available space open. Uh, Danny Etling, Rico Gafford, Kobe Jones, Jack Heflin, Tyler Goodson, Chris Slayton, Ladarius Hamilton, Keandre Thomas, Patrick Taylor, Ray Wilborn, Travis Fulgham, which kind of surprised me, Jawan Winfrey, Caleb Jones. Actually, we might be at 16 because I think we just signed a tight end, didn't we? Anyways, we've got, um, in addition to that, Benji Franklin, cornerback we signed to our practice squad. He is a Jacksonville Jaguar, just like Rudy Ford is. We've poached two of their guys. Uh, Rudy Ford, again, a pure special teamer. He's a gunner. There's some stuff on I think I saw somewhere he runs in the four threes, so he's a speed guy for sure. Um, PFF is not super flattering. He's got several missed tackles and whatnot. But again, 
Go on Twitter and find out what he does if you want to know. It, you'll, you'll see it right away. And, and and again, I honestly was okay with it as soon as I saw those, as much as I don't really like, you know, highlight reels of three plays as opposed to PFF watching, you know, several dozen plays and coming to conclusions based on all of them. But it's it's what he can do that is promising. It's very similar to how I feel about Devontae Wyatt and Kingsley and Agbar, or Barre, whatever, I don't care. I know that they're not flawless, but it's what they can do situationally and occasionally that I'm excited about. I know Devontae Wyatt isn't going to be a consistent play-to-play guy like Kenny Clark is, but he can come in and wreck a couple. If he comes in and wrecks three plays in a game, even if the other 20 are not great, I'm okay with that. Same with Kingsley. It's not ideal, but it's what they can do that other guys can't necessarily do that's exciting. I don't know that we have a guy like Rudy Ford on our team. Tariq Carpenter's a great special teamer. He's, I don't, to my knowledge, he's not a dominant gunner. Same with Dallin Levitt. I think Tariq Carpenter, Dallin Levitt, Keyshawn Nixon, a lot of these guys, they do a good job. And again, I don't know what these positions are called, but more of the inside kind of be in your lane, make the tackle, shed the block, whatever. I don't know that we have that dominant down the field gunner, and Rudy Ford is that guy. Um, Benji Franklin. Again, 2022 undrafted free agent, obviously a guy that the Packers like. This is kind of the funny thing about practice squad, too, is you know, we got these guys that we really like and that we're working on. We've seen them. We've had the opportunities to work with them. But we're willing to give that up for a guy like Benji Franklin, who's an undrafted free agent that we haven't spent five seconds with. Granted, we've been able to watch all the tape that's available, but that's, that's a little surprising. But um, Benji, six foot 185, cornerback, 28 overall PFF grade this preseason. 36.2 run defense, 29.3 tackling, 29.6 coverage. It's not surprising he got cut. <laughs> this is one of the worst cornerback performances of anybody. And he only played seven times on special teams, so I don't think he's necessarily a dominant special teamer. So I don't know. I don't know what it, and it's kind of weird because Rudy Ford is the same way. He doesn't grade out great on special teams. He doesn't grade out great on defense, and, and it's weird but then you listen to Brian Gutekunst talk about it, and he's like, I was shocked they cut Rudy Ford. I, I couldn't believe it. So they they saw a really high-quality guy at a, you know, th- those gunners, I have to assume, are a much more premium position than, than a lot of other spots on special teams. And there probably aren't a ton of guys that can do what Rudy Ford can do. Even, you know, despite the grades and everything else, they were shocked to see a guy with his ability to be let go. And it's the same with Benji. I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know what they're looking for. What do they want? They want something that he does. Not surprisingly, I'm quite po- I don't know, but I'm quite positive both Ford and Franklin run in the four threes. So it 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 makes sense when you look at it from that standpoint. When you got first of all a team that desperately needs special teams help. I don't know if that's what they're bringing him in for. You got to remember too, they you know Brian Gutekunst talked a lot about churning over the bottom of the roster. We've seen the guys that we've seen. We want to take a look at other guys. It could just be that Benji Franklin is a guy that they think has potential at this area or that area. It could be special teams, could be this, that, but they want to get a closer look. And there's a pile of guys that they want to get a closer look at, and Benji's one of them. Rudy Ford, no, we want him on our 53. He's ready to play today. Benji, though, he's just one of those guys, and he could be gone in a week for all we know, right? We just want to get a look at him. So we're willing to use one of our spots on our practice squad, get him a look at this, that, or the other. Packers obviously obsessed with, uh, you know, athleticism. Benji has it. Maybe they want to try him out as a returner. To my knowledge, he's never really done that. And and beyond that, he's he's a he played for Tarleton State Texans. Needless to say, small school. 
And he was very good there as a defender. He did not do a good job on special teams in college. So it, it could just be as simple as we, we were intrigued by him while he was in college. Obviously, he needs more time, and maybe that's what they're looking at. Is this a guy that if we invest the time, you know, maybe next year in the preseason, he starts to show something? You know, if we hang on to him for a year, he could actually start to blossom because he needs more time because this is a massive step to go from Tarleton State to the NFL. By the way, two years in college there. Or does he just not have it? I think that's what this is. We just want to get a closer look at this guy because we're intrigued by him. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. He, he is the, the other guy that we signed to the practice squad is already on this list, so I was wrong. So it is still just the 15. Sean Beyer, if I didn't say his name already, um, accidentally read his name was the other guy that we added. And again, similar situation. We brought him in for a workout very shortly later thereafter, gave him a spot. But you got to remember, I mean, we've got guys that we really want to keep that are no longer, I think there's like two guys that Gutekunst said he really wanted on the practice squad that as of right now are not going to be able to be on here. Now, again, for all we know, they'll both be able to make it because somebody gets activated, somebody gets cut, whatever. There's a, it's, it's a fast-moving thing. But I really think this is one of Brian Gutekunst's favorite things to do. I mean, he's he's talked about emphasizing this, and we've obviously seen this a ton since Brian Gutekunst got here. Is just constantly bringing in guys, and we overanalyze it a ton. Like, what is, you know, what is it we need? Is he saying we need defensive tackle help? Is he saying we need a tight end? Maybe this means he he really doesn't feel good about our tight ends. Blah blah. blah. There's just a pile of guys that he wants to get his hands on. You know, we we he wanted to draft them. He wanted to bring them in as undrafted free agents. He's kind of him and his staff have had their eyes on these guys and suddenly they become available and it's like let's snatch them up let's bring them in and let's work them out and again a lot of these guys are going to go right back out the door but let's just at least get our hands on them and see what he can do and so this is a way for him to kind of play with all these toys you know obviously they do so much work on guys that that we've never even heard of imagine the limited amount of work we do on in the draft looking at let's say first second third and fourth round guys or whatever let's say that's that's as far as most somewhat casual drafty fans look at, right? You don't look at too many guys beyond that. Imagine if almost all of them became available at some point or another, especially second, third, or fourth round guys, right? At this at this point, a lot of these guys you really like suddenly just become available. How cool it would be to be able to go out and start grabbing them up and just be like, yes, they're here. Now we get to check them out. And remember when we saw that film of him doing this, that, or the other? I wonder. But uh, Sean Beyer, although being an undrafted free agent, much bigger program, very different situation, spent four years at Iowa. Um, 225 snaps as a special teamer, so he was used there quite a bit. Also somewhat intriguing about Bayer, he didn't get used very much uh, on offense his first two years. Um, 48 and 46 overall grade, only playing about 30 snaps total. 2019, finally he gets featured somewhat, almost 400 snaps, still performs really poorly, 51 overall grade. The next year in 2020, 311 snaps, 89.8 overall grade. His receiving grades, 57, 49, 55, 80. Pass blocking grades, 47, 50, 50, 81. Something clicked in this dude's head all of a sudden in his final year. He was nearly perfect. He, he, he only played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about eight, eight-ish games. I don't know why I halfway counted it and then stopped and had to estimate how many games, but don't worry about it. But of that list, his final game against Wisconsin was the only subpar game but a 57.5. Every other game was solid. Now, he is mostly a blocker, especially run blocking. Made up the majority, nearly 200 of his 311 snaps, but still. Again, he did a phenomenal job at it. 6'5", 250 pounds. 
But uh, preseason 2021 is the only time he actually did anything in the preseason. 2022, he was just on special teams, and he only had five snaps on uh, on special teams. So, But again, don't need to read too much into it. They saw something in Sean Byer, not a massive amount, but enough to be like, hey, he's kind of at the top of the list of guys we want to bring in. Just get our hands on him. Just let him you know, do what he does. Get him in front of the coaches. Get a full write-up and evaluation of what they think about him and uh, see if this can be one of those guys. If not, goes right back out the door and we go get the next guy. So anyways, again, there's a lot of stuff I didn't even get to, but we will have to save that for tomorrow. That's what happens when I miss a day. But fortunately, lots and lots to cover. Um, that is, to my knowledge as of right now, the practice squad with one available spot, unless something happened in the last couple minutes. But we will leave it at that for today. Pick it up tomorrow. Have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.